everyone, and welcome to our second episode of The Music Makers, a podcast for elementary music teachers. First of all, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who listened to our first episode and who subscribed to it. Your support for this podcast is amazing, so thank you so much. I am your host, Marissa DeVoe, and today we are going to talk about using ukuleles in the general music classroom. I am so excited for this episode because we have an amazing special guest who is an expert ukuleleer and educator, Dr. Robin Giebelhausen. We will get to my interview with her a little bit later. First, I'm going to give you a little background about my experience with ukulele. When I was teaching in Arizona in 2017, I had purchased a class set of ukuleles for my fourth graders. Mind you, I had just learned to play the ukulele myself about a year before that. I had never done any professional development on ukulele education, and I was solely relying on resources from the internet. I know I made a lot of mistakes with teaching it my first year, but that is okay. That is how we learn. Right before I left Arizona to return to Western New York, I attended a workshop by our special guest today, Dr. Robin Giebelhausen. And the workshop was titled, Yes, You Can, Teaching the Ukulele with a Song-Based Curriculum. Dr. Giebelhausen made everyone at the workshop, some experienced ukulele players and some not, feel comfortable and at ease. She provided us with so many amazing resources that allowed me to improve my ukulele instruction. The best takeaway from this workshop was the idea of a song-based curriculum. This is related to the concept of participatory music making. Thomas Torino wrote the book, Music as Social Life, The Politics of Participation. And he explained the concept of participatory music making as, everyone is actively doing something and the idea of jumping right in. Another strong point in Torino's book and what Dr. Giebelhausen spoke about at the workshop was that repertoire is the main teaching tool. If you're interested in starting a ukulele program at your school, focus your attention on the repertoire. I remember Dr. Giebelhausen speaking about how the most important thing is to get students playing on their ukuleles as fast as possible. That idea of jumping right in. When I first started teaching the ukulele, I focused way too much on the background of the ukulele, how to hold the ukulele, listening to people play the ukulele, And by the time my students actually got to play something, half of them were uninterested. Get your students playing as soon as possible. So why am I spending a whole episode talking about ukuleles? My personal opinion is that the ukulele is an amazing instrument for students to learn. They are at the correct level of ease while still offering some difficulty for elementary students and it is a fun way for students to learn some important music skills. Some other benefits we're going to take from Marvin Greenberg, who is a music educator that spent most of his career teaching early childhood music at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. He recognizes that ukuleles are fairly cheap instruments for a district to purchase. The fingerboard and the instrument itself is smaller than a guitar, making it easier for our younger students to play. And it is pretty simple to play melody and harmony on. Dr. Robin Giebelhausen made a great point in her article. So, you're thinking about starting a ukulele program? Back in 2016, she said that with very little prompting, the ukulele encourages students to sing. 
and we know that is a huge benefit for elementary music teachers. One final thought before we get to our incredible interview is that the ukulele adapts to many different genres. Students will get the chance to play their favorite pop songs and maybe even learn some oldies. There are so many great reasons to teach ukuleles to your elementary students, and we're going to talk about some more reasons with Dr. Robin Giebelhausen in our interview, and we will get to that in a little bit. We're just going to take a short break. When you need a musical instrument for your child to play in the school band or orchestra, you have a lot of questions. Can I get the brand of instrument that the teacher recommends? Is the instrument maintained in proper playing condition? If the instrument needs repairs, or a free loaner instrument available? With Twin Village Music, you'll get a resounding yes to all these and many more questions. The fact is, Twin Village Music rents more instruments to school children than any other music store in western New York. Twin Village Music is an authorized dealer for Armstrong, Bach, Selmer, Yamaha, and many other name brand instruments of superior quality that are rigorously maintained by their own in-store repair shop. Quite simply put, they have better looking and better playing instruments that encourage student success. See and hear the difference for yourself. Visit Twin Village Music at 44 Central Avenue in Lancaster. Call 683-4879. Twin Village Music, serving Western New York for almost 60 years with superior quality, value, and service. Welcome back, everyone. Earlier this month, I had the privilege of interviewing via Zoom our special guest today, Dr. Robin Giebelhausen. Robin is currently an assistant professor of music education at the University of New Mexico, where she teaches foundations and method courses in elementary and secondary general music. She will begin a new position at the University of Maryland College Park this fall, teaching similar courses, but also working with Ph.D. students. Dr. Giebelhausen has her BME in music education from the University of Illinois, her MM from Northwestern University, and her PhD from Michigan State University. Amongst her many successes, Robin is highly skilled and experienced in ukulele education for elementary and secondary students. I know you guys are going to learn so much from my interview with Robin. I'm sorry for the length of this episode, but I promise my other episodes will not be this long. The interview I had with her was so amazing. I just couldn't cut anything out. Um, It's going to be extremely helpful for those of you who do have a ukulele program and for those of you who are thinking about starting one. So without further ado, help me welcome Dr. Robin Giebelhausen. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi there. Uh, I gave our listeners a little bit of background about your education and, you know, what you're teaching right now, but Mm -hmm. uh, to start off, I just want to know, when did you start playing ukulele? So my first teaching job was at a middle school and I was teaching general music and choir. Originally when I left uh, my undergraduate education, I was very much in planning to be taking the world by storm as a choral educator. Um, But I found myself uh, really loving the world of general music, particularly secondary general, um, and just the sort of um, impressive things that they can do. And especially, you know, I I think at first I was worried, what do you do when they're all over the place and and thinking, well, creativity was a really cool place for us to explore. Um, So I, I, I found a lot of satisfaction in that job and one of the things that was probably the the scariest for me walking into that job was the beginning guitar class that I was supposed (laughs) to be teaching. Um, I have a piano background, a vocal background, but was, I I, I owned a guitar. That was the extent of my guitar guitar knowledge at that time. 
So I, I was learning with the students along the way. And at a certain point, I started reaching out, taking some workshops so I could become a, a stronger teacher there. And one of the workshops I took was with a man named Michael Martin. And he used to be the director of the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago. And he said something one day, and it was really just a toss-off moment. He said something, or, you know, you could play one of these things. And he, he, I'm holding up my ukulele. Um, and he was talking about, you know, the ukulele is kind of just a cool uh, alternative option. Uh, it's only got four strings. So, you know, for some people who struggle with, with reaching the instrument, I'm like, he's talking about me. That's me. <laughs> um, and so I got almost the exact same model. This is the, the model he was talking about at that moment. It's called the Fluke Ukulele, um, created by a, a company named Flea Market Music. Um, and uh, I've been playing it ever since. And it just, it was amazing how different it felt to my hand compared to the guitar, which just always felt a little too big. Now, I have since been told by guitar educators that my guitar is just way too big for my body. So that could have been the problem from the get-go. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's one of those things where it just kind of felt like magic the moment it sat in my hand. That's awesome. And I don't think you're alone with the guitar <laughs> issue. I mean, I know many music educators and myself who the guitar is not something we were taught and it's totally foreign. And I, I tried to take private lessons on guitar and I failed miserably. So um, yeah, I sure. heard in ukulele for sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes, um, if you're not a string person, sometimes go, especially like for myself going from piano to strings and, and realizing that, you know, G, this, you know, G4 is mem variable places on the instrument. And that was just really confusing to me, right? When, as a piano person, G is here. <laughs> it's only one place. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was just a perspective and a worldview um, that was difficult for me. But uh, for whatever reason, I think once I, I had the physical part of it, I could kind of wrap my head around, I'm going to call it the cultural shift that is string music. That's awesome. Yeah. And how long were you playing the ukulele before you started teaching it? Like, was it sit at the same time or did you know? Yeah, I kind of used it um, as I'm going to call it an accessory for a while because I wasn't <laughs> teaching ukulele for sure um, with students, but I started picking it up. I noticed I was accompanying students a lot more um, at, rather than um, guitar. Right. So it was a quick instrument. I could I could play a lot more. I could play a lot more chords with ukulele. So when it came to accompanying my students, you know, if I didn't have a piano, I could pick up a ukulele and it was right there for me. So I was probably accompanying students with it um, shortly after I started learning. So I would say within within six months for sure, I was accompanying students. And, um, and it was probably about two, two years before I started thinking about, you know, maybe I could also teach it. I had a couple, I at this point, I had also transitioned to grad school at Michigan State. And I had some undergrads who, you know, I bring it in, as, again, as a, as a gimmicky thing to accompany them for, a, for an activity, whatever it was. And they started to kind of poke at me a little bit like that. That's kind of cool. Could, could we do something with that? Um, and so it, it started me thinking about actively teaching students. And so while I was also in grad school working with undergrads, um, I was also teaching at a Catholic school, teaching um, 
preschool through eighth grade music. And in particular, the middle school students at that, at that school were just kind of struggling to find like anything that got them going. I think in a K-8 building in particular, and this was preschool through eight, right? Um, they just, they feel a little too old sometimes in that school. Um, so they're always looking for something that feels very much like my identity. This is, this is for me. And um, so I spoke to the principal and I spoke to the parents and we kind of came up with a collaborative system where some of the parents who were able would purchase ukuleles for the students and the school would, would offset the rest of the cost and purchase ukuleles for that. So that worked out pretty well because um, we, yeah. <laughs> we had like no budget yeah. <laughs> for any of that. Um, and, and so we, we started and we did, I initially did seventh and eighth grade and then it turned into sixth and eighth grade after um, about six months. Yeah, that's amazing that you could do that. I know I have a similar experience with, I taught K-8 and I had mm -hmm. just been accompanying my students on the ukulele and then I tried to teach it, I think, way too soon. <laughs> and it was, a, yeah. it was a struggle. So now I feel more comfortable in my skills. But yeah, I would definitely say to give yourself some more time and really do your research before diving into it. Well, I think like anything, you want to have a base level of comfortability, right? And accompanying students is a great way to feel more comfortable with that, right? So I, I happen to have my ukulele. One of the things I was going to just say, like, there's so many songs. I can just accompany on a C, right? Um, um, there's there's tons of rounds, right, that are out in the world. Um, uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Now, there are like some implications of some harder harmonic <laughs> things in there, but you don't need them, right? right? Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, for a lot of people, that idea of shifting chords is the part that becomes a little bit scarier. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you can find some ways to just do that with really basic ways, that will help you grow your own skills eventually. And if you're the only one playing, you know, there's less worry about having to match somebody else's sound. Right. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> so I know you said that you taught your sixth, seventh, and eighth graders ukulele. Mm -hmm. um, I only teach up to fourth grade. So my fourth yeah. graders play ukulele. What mm -hmm. age level do you see is the best or what's the lowest grade level that you would go to? So, so there, the difference is what could a student play, you know, like could a kindergartner play ukulele? Absolutely. So like I've worked actually with um, seven year olds and six year olds one on one, we can absolutely learn to play some, some very simple ukulele things. Now that's different with a class, right? Yeah. Everything's <laughs> different when you multiply it times 25 or 30. Um, so what is the age that I found success with that? I have found some minor success for sure with fourth and fifth grade. They will have no problem doing some one chord things and maybe building up to some two chord things. I think you might even be able to introduce um, to a third grade class, maybe a C chord if you're feeling brave um, and you have a real good sense of how to set it up. I think with anything, right, it's about how comfortable are you at getting students' hands where they need to be, right? So it's the same thing with, it, with, with drumming. It's the same thing with your valid instrument. That, you know, can you get them to a place where they're getting their body ready for it? If you feel like you can do that, um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, how, how good of a master are you with your class, right? Right. <laughs> and I would say that, you know, gr this is pretty fine motor skills, right? When we're talking about isolating a singer, single finger to depress on the string in a very particular area. Now I know some, some teachers, and I've done this for sure too, who will use dots to help assist students, you know, so, you know, we're gonna put our 
our finger on the red dot, and that's our single for a, a, a C chord. And then later they worry about orienting it for them on the fretboard. Um, so I think it's it's also just a matter of can you get students' awareness of the instrument in connection with the fine sk motor skills that they're going to be doing. Um, so I for sure have seen success in fourth and fifth grade, third grade, if you're savvy. I'm going to put it out there that way. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice. That fine motor is definitely the the biggest issue I've, I've felt with my fourth graders, you know, yeah. it's just the coordination of it all. But the actual it's, playing, once they get that, is pretty, you know, they can pick it up pretty well. But it's just the, the first couple of days, months, weeks, where they're yeah. holding it, and, you know, they're backwards, upside down. <laughs> well, and, and again, you can, you can almost slow a bunch of things down, too, right? So this is two different kinds of fine motor skills, both the depressing of the, the finger on the fretboard and then the strumming pattern. So, and I, I know we were going to eventually maybe talk about, like, budgetary, like, what if I can't fund for an entire system? You know, if you only have enough for half of a class, you could do a buddy system, right, where one person's in charge of depressing the, on the finger on the fretboard and one person is in charge of strumming. Um, because again, it's two different skill sets to, to be able really to do that. Idea. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah. Um, and so if you're isolating the skill and then you're getting to a place where you're combining them, um, that would be really helpful. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I didn't even think of that. And I could do that even if you have a class set. Yeah. You know, it might yeah. be a great intro to do that. Yeah. For sure. Um, so what is like the first thing you would do with an elementary student on the ukulele? You give it to I would <laughs> I would make sure they've seen me play the ukulele a bunch, right? So before we're even talking about students playing themselves, I think there's just an, a need for them to have seen that happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, why do we do instrument de demonstrations when it comes time for choosing a band or orchestra instrument? Because they, they need a little bit of background, they need a little context about what this instrument can do before it's their turn to take over. Um, and so, you know, maybe even when you're getting close to wanting the class to play, you might point out to them, what are the different things that you're doing? Um, I think, you know, like in the world of piano, they talk about geography, needing a sense of what's happening on this instrument. So, you know, the geography thing can happen without instruments in their hands, right? Because the moment we hand out... <laughs> sticks <laughs> to a class, we have, we have doubled our management um, things that we're worrying about, right? So, um, you know, if I can take care of a few of the, the, the anatomy things, the things I want them to look for on their instrument, then all of a sudden this becomes a lot more meaningful than just a ha <laughs> right? A moment yeah. of, um, of potential poor choices. Um, so, uh, you know, I would definitely be talking about what do we see on this instrument? What are, what are, what is it that I, what is it that, that Dr. Gibbs is playing when she's playing her instrument? How many strings do we have? What is she doing with this hand? What is she doing with the other hand? Do you notice the sound hole, right? Do you, and what is that role playing? And what if I were to speak into it? Do I hear an echo? You know, those, all those sorts of different things that give them a little bit more awareness of that. And then I'm also, this is important to me. I think a lot of orchestra string educators feel similarly to, I don't really want them involved with tuning for a long time. Um, you know, it, it's an audiation problem, right? If they're not really hearing how these strings sound, then it's going to be nearly impossible for them to be able to tune it for themselves. That, that's, a, that's a step up. That's like maybe at, at minimum or, or at the earliest year two in the process, right? They just need to hear what it sounds like in tune before they're going to get there. So we'll talk about the fact that string instruments have these tuning pegs, there's always one tuning peg for every string, but for a while, 
this is your teacher's responsibility, right? If you're feeling really good about it, I might have like a one student who's like, I, I, I've done that on a guitar before. Can I try it? Right. And they might, they might get, feel brave and I'll say, well, how about this? I'll give you a, a you know, a, a, a tuner and you can try this. This top string needs to be a G. Can you show me a little bit of how you would do a string? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and then if they start cranking really fast, really, you know, then you go, whoop. Hang on. You know, one of the things I want you to notice is I never turn very much, right? So, um, so you know, it's about knowing what's happening on the instrument first, right? And so I, before we do that, I'm just making sure they they can label, they can have a sense of this. They might even know that the neck goes on a certain part of our body. We can talk about left-handed um, instruments. I I tend to avoid left-handed instruments unless we have special situations. Um, those special situations have been a student has been playing the left-handed guitar, right? So they have just a whole bunch of understanding of that. Um, I've also had a student who didn't have fingers on their, um, their left hand. So like fingerboard was not going to be possible. They did have fingers on their right hand. So we got a left-handed instrument for that child because they could they could strum with their hand um, that didn't have fingers even uh, and, and flip it around basically. So um, there are situations when I have done left-handed instruments, but for the most part, I've just kept it as a group. Um, you know, like a lot of instruments, we don't necessarily do a whole bunch of switching back and forth. You know, piano, we don't switch back and forth if they're stronger left-handed versus right-handed. Same thing in the world of most orchestral instruments. Um, so yeah, um, so it's a lot of geography and basic setup so that when I pass out those instruments that first day, it's about, can you put it in the right position? Uh, can you show me, and I would even say, you know, cover all of the, the strings and just show me a strum, show me a strum with your, with your thumb, show me a strum with your, with your fingers. You could do it either way. Can you go back and forth, strum, finger, thumb, you know, back and forth. So just even getting a hand of holding it in your body, I'm certainly not going to do um, put your finger on fret number one uh, or fret number three, string number one on the first day, right? At, to me, day one would just be about holding it and feeling it in your body and, and getting the sense of strumming before you go anywhere else. And then what I might do is do a little bit of like, let's play, um, can you find the string that I'm playing? So I'll say string number one is all the way at the bottom, farthest away from me. Sounds like that. Can you find string number one? And then we'll do, can you find string number two? And we'll just try to play a little bit of that, isolating the strings before we do anything else. And then we're gonna maybe start doing some fret work, right? But we're building up to it. We're not starting landing with all of it at one time, because that's a lot. Now, um, in a high school class, in a, in a, in a um, college class, maybe in a late middle school class, you could probably push it a little faster. It just depends on the, on the learners in the room. But if you're starting with your youngest ones, you got to break down the process. Um, I, but on the flip side, I've also worked with seniors. Um, I've worked at senior citizens at, um, at a senior center. Um, I probably used about the same process I would with third graders with the seniors because we've got the same dexterity issues, right? Um, so knowing the process will also help you with the students who struggle, whether or not they are high schoolers, middle schoolers, third graders, seniors, or adults who've just never developed fine motor skills. 
yeah, it's, it's, I mean, like I struggled with guitar, you know, yeah. you said you struggled. So it's definitely yeah. possible at any age to, that's just not a comfortable position and you have to get comfortable in that, in that mode. Right. For sure. Um, so after, you know, you get, I know I took a workshop with you and one of the things that you said was just getting them to play anything mm -hmm. right away. Mm -hmm. So important so that they're interested and not spending too much on, you know, this is exactly where you put your finger, this, you know, so once you get them comfortable just strumming and, you know, learning their instrument, do you go right to chords or do you go more to plucking melodies? And, you know, what, what's the difference? Or do you do both at the same time? So my inclination is to do chords first, because I think for a lot of students, it's mu musically satisfying. Now, I've also been exploring bass lines too, rather than melodies. So um, one of the nice things about ukulele is my top two strings, my string number four and string number three, or um, G, C, is a fifth, right? So I can do... I can do songs that include that right away. And I could do that right after I fake my strumming patterns and I do my find your string, I could do some baseline songs. And that's that's really good exploration and an extension of what you were talking about, right? Now, then there's the combination of singing and playing, right? Uh, and I always am going to push towards them to sing as fast as they can. There's a bunch of them that like, that's plenty. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so what I would suggest with any of the songs, and this is for sure with the younger ones, but it also is important with the older ones who have some interesting socialization issues with singing, depending on the group. Um, if you can teach the song as a song or a movement activity, first and then find a place for it on the ukulele you'll be much more successful with getting students to play um i was working at a community center with um gosh it was a wash of anywhere between um first graders and fourth graders they were all over the place in age right and i i had some undergrads this is part of like some field work that they were doing with me um and they were all over the place with learning it but the moment we put in an activity before or even several weeks before they were 10 million times more successful with being able to combine the ukulele and they even just picked up the ukulele idea better because it was already kind of steeped in their audiation they were hearing the song and therefore could translate it to the instrument well so whatever you can do to make the music happen first and then connect it to ukulele i think you're going to find that the students will be um will be able to zoom through your material a little faster and then also just feel more confident right like feel like oh, yeah, i got this i can do this right yeah you're absolutely right that's such a good point because like you're saying you know they have to worry about their left hand and the right hand and singing and it's a lot it's a lot for a, a child to remember and handle so um definitely if they have that knowledge of the song beforehand and it's kind of just yeah. on an autopilot almost the singing like yeah. it's, it's in my head that's a really good point um i know that we've talked you talked a little bit about some accommodations you have made mm -hmm. uh, and stickers you know I, i've used stickers on my fretboards is there any other things that you have done or used that um have helped your students 
Well, so this gets into a little further along the way. So stickers for one are going to be a great way to just, so the idea is I put the sticker where they put their fingers for the C chord or they put their stingers for the A minor chord or F or whatever it is. And like, especially like, you know, G is like the first um, three finger chord. I try really hard to get my students to do, but like it's, <laughs> it's this huge mountain to get them there, right? Um, and stickers are, are half of the salvation of that because there's just, it, there's a lot of memory that's trying to work and for them to try to find that place. Um, so not only is it helping them just to be able to know where the chord is, it helps them with switching the chord, it helps them feel confident to be able to try the G chord because it's just, it's, like I said, it's an uphill battle for them. Although I will say once they have the G chord, a lot of other chords are a lot faster for them to be able to manage. Like that's, there's just muscle um, growth that needs to happen, right? That sort of like um, built, I, I always talk about it like your fingers are trying to do um, push-ups, right? And they're trying to get ready to be able to feel good about that. So when they go in there, they just land, right? But it takes a little bit for your muscles to build up to feel that. And they, they always think that's silly, right? They, they, they understand how like you might build up your arm muscles, or your leg muscles. They don't think about their fingers as having muscles on them too, but they do. Um, so for sure, I'm a big fan of stickers. I also will let the stickers fall off. So once the stick, you know, we, we put the stickers on at the beginning of the year when we're learning and then the stickers are falling off. Uh oh, what are we gonna do? That's part of the learning. Now, of course, if there's, there's a student who needs accommodations, I'm not gonna be a jerk about it. But like that's, I, I, I give them the warning to it. At some point, the stickers are gonna fall off. So are you ready for your C chord? Do you, can you do your C chord without the sticker? Um, can you do your C chord without looking at the instrument? You know, that, that's a good setup for it too. And that's a good setup for them being able to switch because if they can do it without looking. You know, yeah. they always set it up, you know, we're gonna have a challenge, let's see who can find mm -hmm. it without looking. And you know, they think that's the greatest thing ever when they can do it. Yeah, and this is, this is different than your question too, but I might keep one ukulele without stickers, always. So if they have a student who's feeling like, I would like to try that, um, all the time they have that available to them. Um, and then that just kind of, not that I'm looking for competition in my classroom, but it looks, it, it helps the kid who wants the challenge, right? The student who wants that embedded challenge can do that. I might also use that, that ukulele for assessments. And so when I'm at a point when I really do want them to be able to play the C chord without looking at the sticker, I use that ukulele for that. Um, other accommodations I might make. So some, um, they're for sure, uh, the difference between regular chords and seventh chords, right? And what that's doing two functions, right? It's both just adding to the harmonic vocabulary of what we get, right? Um, but it's also a challenge for their memories, right? That's a lot of extra things to remember. And is this the C chord or is this a C7 chord? Is this a G chord or a G7 chord? Um, I will always tell them, I will explain the difference between, once we get to like two or three seventh chords, I'll say, do you notice that sometimes we have um, G chord and sometimes we have G7? And they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems like almost no, nobody ever asks me about it, right? They just kind of blindly accept that, yeah, that's the thing. Um, uh, and then once we've gotten to a point where there is a difference, I say, listen to the difference between C and C7. There's a difference in the sound, right? In the C chord, it's only three notes. One just gets repeated because it's a triad chord, whereas a seven 
is four different notes. Did you know that the C will fit inside the C7? And so we'll talk about accommodations, whereas if you don't know the seventh, but you know the regular, just do the regular and you're feeling overwhelmed by it. But, and one day you will select to do more, right? <laughs> um, I'm also, other accommodations I might make is, I don't, you know, let's say we're, we're learning more than one chord, right? they're feeling really comfortable with C, but man, F is just too much for them today, or F and C7 is too much for them. They can do one. I'll say, the first time we play the song, just play all the Fs. The second time we play the song, play all the C7s. And then maybe, rather than playing all the strumming in between, you just play it on the change. So, So they just get used to just hearing when the chord change is happening and they can spend all that time getting their finger ready for the change. So that's another really good accommodation. And if they're wanting to do something in between, something like that, where there's like a little halfway point. So for me, the biggest accommodations I tend to make is when it comes to chord changes, because that's everybody's pacing very differently. And I have some students that seems like they have no guitar experience, they have no whatever experience, they're just like <laughs> and they're in like fancy strumming patterns and I'm like, where are you at? How'd you do that? Um, so yeah, there. Are, I would say chord strums is the biggest accommodations I end up having to make. And that's not just necessarily because um, I have students who are need accommodations that you know on paper right they, they just we're all pacing differently because there's so many different motor skills happening at the same time well that's the greatest thing you know about having a whole class you know because i'll do the same, similar thing or split the class in half and you know you're only responsible for the f chord you're only responsible for the mm -hmm. c7 you know and they can switch yep. there's a ton of accommodations you definitely can do with that um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you about was i noticed a lot of my students they have the issue with, you know, really wrapping their hand around the neck of the ukulele and getting in a position. So I was given an accommodation um, by putting like a sponge mm -hmm. underneath their, their pointer finger so it kind of rests on the, the bottom of the neck. Um, I mean, I don't know, what are your ideas on that or how have you helped your students overcome that challenge? So let me just clarify, are you seeing that the students are really struggling to get yeah. their hand around? Yeah, like they're, you know, when they do it, they're kind of ah. really so like it, close to the neck. Their thumb's too high, basically. Yeah. Thumb, but keeping that thumb low so that they can wrap around and not, you know, push down other strings they're not intending to. Right. right. So um, I, this is one where I would steal straight from the world of recorder. I don't know if you've ever, you know, they talk, would talk about your left thumb on the back. Uh -huh. um, I had a, a teacher, an ORF teacher at one point who put like smiley faces where their thumb is supposed to be. And so like, that's another way you could do it. I mean, stickers, right? Stickers are golden <laughs> tools of, of, of elementary classrooms. Um, and I, you know, with older students, for sure, I don't necessarily make a big to do about it. I'll just say if you're having trouble reaching, it's probably because your thumb's too high on the other side and you're, you're having to work harder than is necessary. So if you get your thumb back more on the, on the back, that could be really positive. Um, I think for some students, it's not that they didn't think it wasn't there, it's that it moved, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so what I would sometimes do is even like, I don't need it for C, right? I don't have to have that finger there. 
right. but can you practice that and can you shift to F while keeping your thumb on the back? Mm -hmm. So it's usually in the shift where the thumb goes on a journey uh, above the fretboard. Um, so you might even just practice with the, in the shift, did your fingers, did your thumb stay still? Yeah, that's a great accomplishment. Yeah, I know that's number one. That's been the biggest issue my students have definitely sure. had is, you know, that hand just moves all over the place and like, I can't reach it around. Yeah. <laughs> or they try to play with their thumb on top. That's my personal thing. <laughs> well, tell them we don't have John Mayer ukulele players, okay? <laughs> so what do you think are the biggest benefits um, for elementary students learning ukulele? Well, I'm actually going to back up to just teachers, right? I think there's a big benefit to teachers to have this instrument because one, it is extraordinarily portable, right? This is not an instrument um, that I have to roll on a cart from room to room to accompany my students. And while the guitar is awfully portable, it has some accessibility issues for various teachers. Um, but it also overwhelms student voices sometimes, right? One of the things I found even with the ukulele, I could accompany preschool students who have very small developing voices, right? Um, and it would encourage them to sing. And I could, I, and it felt really cool for them to have an instrument that accompanied them. So there's just, this is a pedagogical instrument that supports their singing and you can play with them, but you as a teacher will feel like you can grow quite a bit with this, um, no matter what kind of hand you have, right? Um, so for me, it was great. Um, I also, I really like that there aren't large ukulele ensembles in colleges um, where, and, and private ukulele teachers in, in, in institutions of higher learning where we have to worry about the ukulele repertoire, which you, your etudes and your whatever to get you ready for college, right? This is really just an instrument that has been set up for fun. Right, yeah. You play it because it's fun, because it gives you joy, right? Um, there are a few people who've made a professional career out of ukulele, and I'm not min minimizing that at all, but it's, it's not in the same realm as um, a bunch of other areas, which feels like if you don't choose a certain path of it, you're doing it wrong. Um, so there's just a whole ecosystem around ukulele that is about love and joy and growth. Uh, and I, I appreciate that tremendously. Um, but despite the fact that it's very accessible very quickly, which is lovely for our younger elementary students that we can do a lot of things very fast, you know, you can, and you can of, co of course work it into all of your ORF ensembles because C is so accessible to you so soon. So you can basically play your, play your C Bordunes along with, you know, whatever else you're doing um, and, and G, you know, and F and all these other things. Um, it, it also can, it has great potential for growth. Um, if you check out, there's a bunch of amazing videos online of Jake Shimabukuru, who's this beautiful ukulele player from Hawaii, um, and he will play um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody or While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and it's just mind-blowing technique, mind-blowing playing, right? This is a person who has really refined and, and grown the skill of ukulele to tremendous heights. Uh, and so that exists too, right? It's not just this toy baby instrument. 
we can access it very young, but we can also do so much with it. And I think that's really empowering for students as well. So yes, you can play it really quickly, mm -hmm. but you can also go so far with it. Um, and recorder, I, I think there's also similar things that are happening, but not in the same popular music scene that I see with ukulele. So I think it's also just kind of a little bit more relevant for students. Um, sometimes I think with recorder, they go, this is cool, but then it kind of goes away and it doesn't exist in the larger world for them. Right, yeah. You're right. And you know, it's, it's so fun, like you're saying. I, you know, I pick up my ukulele when I'm having a down day and that yeah. lifts my spirit. So it's just, a, it's very calming to me. And I think a lot of students resonate with that too. You know, I, I'll play it and they'll be like, oh, I could just like fall asleep, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm taking it that they mean that in the most nice way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and there's also, um, I think it, the ukulele, ukulele itself is a fusion instrument. It was developed out of all of these different places and then eventually it was formally developed in Hawaii. Um, I'm blanking on around the time, but it was not, it was, it was created essentially, right, as an instrument itself. And it is um, an, an instrument of fusion. Um, and I think it, it is a beautiful instrument to uh, play just a ton of different styles, right? You can play, um, you know, some traditional uh, Hawaiian tunes, um, but you can also play some rock and you can play some reggae. And you can play some country. I, I mean, country tunes are great too because of their simplistic bass lines and harmonic movement, and it's so accessible. Um, and then you can also, you know, I've been looking to to add some um, some metal tunes and some rap tunes just because I'm looking to diversify uh, what I'm bringing to the table uh, for my students. So yeah, right. There's a wide range, and I think that's another drawing point for students because. Yeah. You know, you have kids who have never heard rock before, or you have kids who absolutely love country music, and you know, they get both ends of that spectrum, and you can definitely incorporate a lot of different genres and styles. Um, so I know we kind of talked, you know, we briefly hit on some of the other points that we wanted to talk about, but um, so somebody with a very minimal budget or mm -hmm. wants to start a ukulele program, you know, and it has basically no, you're starting from scratch, you know, what's your best advice you can give to those educators out there who, you know, want to give it a try, but maybe they don't have the funds or maybe they really have no knowledge of ukulele and are kind of starting at the bare minimum. Well, I think the first step is get yourself an instrument, right? Before you engage with the students, you should be playing for a little bit. I think that's really important. So um, get yourself a nice instrument. And when I say nice, we're, we're spending at least $50, right? There are some amazing, wonderful brands. A lot of them will be, um, like Luna is wonderful, Ohana is wonderful, um, Kala has some lovely brands, um, Oscar Schmidt has some wonderful ones. But I would say, you know, put something, Cordoba is another good one, um, something between 50 $80, maybe even $100, you're going to get yourself a nice solid instrument. Um, if you think about it in the world of instruments, that's not that much. <laughs> right? And what do you recommend for a teacher to have? I mean, I have a tenor mm -hmm. ukulele mm -hmm. uh, because it fits my hands better, my body better. Right. And I, the sound's louder for me, so it's, you know, can carry over a classroom. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what do you recommend for a teacher to have for their classroom? I would yeah, I would say most adult hands are probably going to struggle with soprano as their learning instrument. 
Um, I, I love a concert. That's what I play most of the time. I, I, I you know, I will say the, the problem with ukuleles is they tend to breed in my household. All of a sudden I have a lot more of them than I originally meant it to. Whoops. Um, <laughs> no, but um, concert or tenor is probably what most um, people will feel good on. I'm, I went with my undergrads, we would always play um, soprano concert tenors and then you know usually the end of the semester I'd introduce a baritone and baritones have different tuning um, they're the top four strings of the guitar um, and I would have a couple of them who would just be like oh this is what I've been searching for my whole life um, so I would say some of it is also you might want to go to a store who hard to do right now um, <laughs> but play some right that would probably make you feel a little better I need you don't you may don't you may have no clue what you're doing but just you know put your fingers in the frets and how does that feel what does your do your fingers feel like they have enough room or you feel like you're constantly shoving for space mm -hmm. um, and most I would say adult teachers are probably gonna feel most comfortable with a concert or tenor um, to start out um, and concert for most people doesn't even look that much different than a soprano it just has a little bit more fret space um so for sure go that way so play play for a bit i think that's going to be your your way to get going and then plant the idea in your administration's head show and show them you playing with it and talk about parents and kids and saying something you know so you're you're building an underbelly of this is important this community sees this as necessary we would like to go this way um, there, there's a couple different strategies on ways you can go. Obviously, if you're a public school person and you don't have a lot of resources, donors choose as an option for you, or there might be other ways of, of doing funding if the school is not willing to, to do that for you. You also might even start with making it a center's idea. So maybe you don't have enough for a whole class set, but you have enough for a center. So can you get, I don't know, five, right? And then in the center, that's what they're gonna work on is, is holding the instrument, labeling the parts of the instrument, practicing some strumming, practicing finding the different strings. So that, you know all those different steps we talk about as a class, maybe that's something you have as a center. So if you can't get a whole bunch of them, um, you know that's a way to, to build it. And you, maybe you, you build five a year for a while until you can have half the class and you could do the, the buddy thing that we talk about and then eventually build to a whole class. Um, the other thing I mentioned earlier was, um, you know, if I used to do this with recorders too. So that's part of the reason I had the idea. You know, if you can find a good vendor that will give you a good price, if the parents are willing to buy one for themselves, and then you can offset that as well, then you can, you can, you can have more, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have the benefit of kids playing at home too, which yeah. <laughs> not so bad. Um, the tricky part there is going to, of course, be tuning and they are going to have a hard time with that. And they might, they might feel frustrated with that. Um, but you know, you can, you can build that up over time with some, some habits. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my, my basic gists. Um, but I would say what you also, more than anything, starting with you as the teacher playing and getting some interest, I think helps you in a multitude of ways, right? Um, I think anytime we try to do something from scratch without, um, administration understanding, without the community understanding, it's just hard to get them to understand the value of this. Um, they're, they're, we are music educators to our students, but we are also music educators to our community. We have to show them what it is we do, right? And if it's only happening in the shadows of our classroom, it makes it very difficult to prove our value in the larger world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And 
at the once you get the ukulele so and you have that program there is nothing my administrators have loved more than walking in and seeing all the students playing their ukulele and loving it you know because they do they get immediate joy out of it because it's something they can do pretty quickly and mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you're right. Just showing them that this is, you know, what we can get out of this is a huge point. Um, I guess one of my last questions I have for you is storing ukuleles has always been an issue for yeah. some years, yeah. depending on your space. Um, I've tried a couple different ways. I had them hanging, uh, mm -hmm. but it, the humidity in the school and the heat and, you know, the hooks fell off and, yeah. uh, <laughs> It's, it's a challenge, obviously, right? And everybody's classroom is so different for that. Um, I One of the things I don't think I really, again, coming from being a vocalist and a piano person, I don't think I had really been, pardon the pun, steeped in the world of uh, instrument education, of storage of instruments in the same way that I think um, people in guitar and string world really understood that much more acutely. Um, you know, I shared an office for years with an orchestra teacher and she'd have all these things where she was maintaining the humidity and I just went, oh, that's neat. That seems <laughs> like a part of her job, right? Um, but it is, it's a real thing. And, um, you know, I just, I just moved from New Mexico. I just moved out to Maryland where we talk about a humidity shift, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I came from Arizona and I live in Western New York, so I get that difference. <laughs> right, right. So, um, you know, in, in New Mexico, we actually worried about instruments getting too dry, um, but they were much more stable because there wasn't so much of a shift of humidity, right? Um, but th they would still say, can you find a place to store your instruments where you can at least put some humidity back into the instrument, right? So um, out is nice during the day but it would be better if there's also a place to keep them where they're just a little bit more protected from dry air is, is the sort of mental thought about that. Um, or if you just have a really good humidifier in your room, right? That would be a thing that would help. Um, these are all like wants and desires. I think the primary thing of an elementary music teacher is to, to start with what's gonna actually function with while keeping the instrument safe and the students safe. I think that that has to be number one, but if you can also design something um, that keeps them properly humidified, that's that's pretty helpful. And you'll, you'll keep your instruments for longer too. Yeah, that's a good point, bringing in the humidifier or dehumidifier, depending on your situation. Yeah, depending on what your situation <laughs> is. <laughs> no, I know, I went in uh, to pack up my classroom after we had been out for COVID and my hooks like half of them had all fallen off and the ukulele yeah. fell and I was like oh man so I'll have to rethink that for sure next year <laughs> if we're there in person next year <laughs> oh, <laughs> dreams. Oh, dreams of the future <laughs> um, yeah so I guess what's what is your favorite part about teaching ukulele to students I mean if you had to pick one thing that's your favorite thing about it what would it be well, I think it just hits a lot of the things that are areas of interest to me, right? I'm looking for things to make more students feel empowered by music, to make more musicians out of, out of the people who walk in the door of the classroom that I teach, right? Um, and, and that is out of a large desire to make music feel less, I mean, I, I don't want it to feel like it's only for some, right? I think if we had the ability to make more students feel like I'm a musician. Maybe I'm not a professional musician, maybe it's not my career, but I am a musician and I can play music at home 
um, even though I didn't choose that as a career. I think that could be really powerful for us as not only a music teacher community, but as an arts community. I think we'll be fighting less for the validity of of arts and education if just everybody walks out the door saying, yeah, that's that, yeah, of course, everybody does that. Why, why, why wouldn't we, <laughs> right? Um, we have that feeling towards a lot of other subject areas. And I think we, we are always trying to prove that we're important. And a big part of it is not everybody walks out of the door feeling empowered by music right now. And so this has been a tool that feels like that has good potential for that, right? And, it, and it's because of a lot of things we talked about, the accessibility component of it, right? Um, but also the growth potential of it, right? So you can kind of choose your own adventure with this instrument. You can find a place where perhaps you are playing simple tunes with your family, or perhaps you're playing more complicated things and you're playing very stylistic things. Maybe you're songwriting, because that, that's another area that's really interesting to me as well to explore with students, where students not only learn to play other people's music, but to create their own and create their own musically, but also create their own message, right? One of the things I've, I've really enjoyed doing with certain groups of students is write protest music. And what, is, what does protest music mean to you? What are the things that are important that you, you feel like nobody listens to your voice? right and so for some of them it's it to us as teachers it feels like very small things like why don't we get candy right but it also could be very big things like the the teachers aren't fair right they don't treat us all equally which is potentially very true right if we need to look at our practices but they have an opportunity to share what's important to them through protest music so all these different things that are so important to me as a music teacher I feel like I can explore through ukulele that's amazing I love that idea of protest music and you know they mm -hmm. do all they all have such a story and they all have a, a strong opinion about things and you're right the ukulele is just so accessible in so many different ways and there's so many different skills and concepts we can touch upon while teaching ukulele and I love how you've talked about, you know, the range, you know, you can make it as simple and as easy as you want, or you can, you know, start pushing the boundaries and going different directions, which is amazing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been wonderful. I feel like I've learned a lot and I hope our listeners <laughs> <will> too. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Well, that concludes our episode today. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Dr. Robin Giebelhausen as much as I did. She had some really great ideas and advice. Thank you again, Robin, for interviewing with me. Our interview can be found on our website, themusicmakerspodcast.com. That's themusicmakerspodcast.com. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at themusicmakerspod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, keep making music. The cover art for this podcast was done by Nick Naparella, and the audio is from Audio Jungle.